I pray faith arise in our hearts to see beyond our current situation, that we would not be limited by the situation or circumstance, but we would see our Father beckoning us to come into freedom. Beckoning us to live above it all where we're seated. So with heads bowed, if you're here and you say, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never entered into a relationship with Him, but I want to. Would you pray for me? That's you if you'd raise your hand. Say, I don't know that I've ever accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I want to. All right? You're here. You say, I'm saved. I know that I'm saved, but I've allowed cares. I've allowed things to get between he and I. It doesn't have to be that you're living in an ungodly lifestyle. It could be that you've allowed the cares of this world to choke out hope, to choke out faith, to choke out his love so that you're not encountering his love. You say, that's me. I want you to pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So, Lord, for each one that raised their hand, God, we declare your freedom. right where they are, faith released, God grabs hold of your promises and all your promises in you are yes and in you, amen. Father, we thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing right now. Not what you will do, but what you're doing right now. We declare freedom. Jesus' name.
as we receive today's offering, we are believing you for with this last week, I began to uh, talk about Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And uh, we begin to unpackage some verses in John chapter 3 with Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and we looked at Romans chapter 3, looked at... Uh, Romans chapter 10. I won't go back into all of those, but we are going to, going to look again today at Romans chapter 14, verse 17, and uh, unpackage more of this. <clears throat> again, it says this in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul had been dealing in Romans chapter 14 about days that they were observing, special days. He had been dealing with meal, food that they were eating, and he was saying that, you know, if God's blessed it, it's blessed. Don't allow it to become a stumbling block for someone else. Don't let your freedom be someone else's stumbling block. Are you with me? All right. Uh, that noise is kids. We all good? All right. I'm here, kids are there, it's all good, right? Okay, I just want to make sure, because sometimes people can get tweaked and go, ah, and there's a kid screaming. Yeah, it's a kid. That's what they do. I'm here, they're there. Focus, people, focus, all right? All right, thank you very much. <laughs> so, as I was meditating on this this week and just thinking about his kingdom, because uh, if if we say that we believe that Jesus came and established his kingdom, throughout the Gospels you see Jesus saying, the kingdom of, he of heaven is at hand, it's here, it's upon you. Jesus brought his kingdom to the earth. The, the way, the reason, I guess I could say, that the religious Jews of his day missed it is because they were looking for his physical kingdom to be set up, and what he was establishing is his spiritual rule and his spiritual reign. 
And the way that that's going to be manifest on the earth is through his kids. Amen, that's us. And if we're going to manifest his kingdom, we've got to know what that kingdom looks like. And again, that's what Romans 14, 17 is talking about. Paul's been talking about it's not in what you eat. It's not in what you drink. It's not in how you observe, when you observe. He didn't say all those things are wrong. He just said sometimes we get twisted in our priorities. And how we do it becomes more important than what we do. And he said it's got to be unto the Lord. And he said when, we, when the kingdom shows up, there's going to be righteousness, there's going to be peace, and there's going to be joy. So when the kingdom of God is manifesting, it's going to manifest in righteousness, it's going to manifest in peace, it's going to manifest in joy. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of Matthew chapter 6, that his disciples had asked him, said, Jesus, John taught his disciples how to pray, would you teach us how to pray? And in Matthew 6, I'll pick up in verse 6, he said this, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus said, when you pray, don't stand on the corner. And to understand what was going on in that day, they would literally stand on the corners and make loud prayers. The Pharisees would stand on the corner to be heard. They would just stand up and pray just to be heard. And he said, don't do that. He, said, he goes on to say, that when you do that, you already have your reward because you have the praise of men. But he said, when you pray, this is what's so awesome. This is where the Lord, a few years ago, really started dealing with me about being in the secret place with him. And then when I get along with him in the secret place, and I spend time with him in the secret place, and I trust the issues and the, the desires of my heart to him in the secret place, he said, I'll manifest them openly. You know what's good about that? It's a whole lot easier to go to him and say, God, here's needs that we have. Here's something. And he talks about needs in his prayer. But it's a lot easier. Uh, I don't even like the word easy. It's more fruitful to go to him and allow him to work it out in us and work it out through us than for us to try to make it happen through uh, a prayer chain. <laughs> uh -uh. And I'm not against a prayer. I'm not against getting people to agree with you in prayer. But many times we've used that as manipulation. If we can get enough people to know what our need is, then maybe they can help meet the need. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, moving right along. Go in your secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. So, you know what? This is so freeing because he's saying if you come from your heart, you know, I've heard people say, well, I just don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? Yes, we, we know how to talk. Most everyone in this room knows how to communicate, talk. There's a few little ones maybe that are working on that, but most know how to talk. If you know how to talk, you know how to communicate. God is alive. He's a person, and prayer is communicating with him. So when people say, I don't know how to pray, what you're saying is, I don't know how to pray like they do, or they do. And you've already messed up, messed up because you're looking in the wrong place. You're not praying to them or through them. You're praying to him. 
So if my attention is on, and that's where Paul said in Corinthians, they comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The, media, the, the moment that I start looking this way to see if I'm pleasing God or approved by God by how I see other people doing, I've already started the wrong way. I'm in the wrong direction. It's this way. It's vertical, and it's in that secret place. And he said, when you pray, don't use vain repetition as the heathen. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Then in verse 9 he says this, In this manner pray. In this manner. He didn't say use these words all the time. So when you go in your secret place, you don't have to start, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying every time you come in prayer, recite this prayer. He said in this manner with this understanding, with this heart, with this intention. Here's how you pray when you recognize who He is. He's Father. You know, that, I've said this before. The reason the, the religious leaders hated Jesus so much is He came revealing God as Father. They knew Him as God way off. Jesus didn't disrespect Him by calling Him Father. What He did is manifest who He really is and the glory that He contains. By calling him Father. And he's telling his disciples, don't just come in with these lofty titles and these big words that impress people. He said, when you come in, recognize who you're coming in with. You're coming in with your Father. I've said, and, and I'll say again, I have the privilege of having an amazing mother and father that have shown me love my whole life, even when I did stupid things. There were times that whose child I was was traded off. I was doing good, Mom. That's my boy. When I did something stupid. Frank, get your son. I heard that more than once. <laughs> she didn't love me any less. She just didn't have time for me at that moment. But there was a lot of things that we didn't have growing up, uh, you know, financially, they were, we were provided for, we always had food, we always had a place to live, we didn't always have the newest, the latest, the greatest, and all that, but what we did have is, no matter how bad I messed up, no matter how dumb the thing I did was, there was always love. There was always love, and they, they showed me what it is to be loved unconditionally. There was discipline, but there was love. And I understood this is what a healthy father, this is what a healthy mother looks like. It, the word says if, if you're not disciplined, then you're a bastard. Sorry, it's the Bible. You're fatherless because to whom the father loves, he disciplines, he chastens. It doesn't say he gives you sickness, he gives you disease, that he kills something. That's not him. That's religion. What it says is he chastens, he chastens by the word, he chastens by his spirit, saying that's not who you are. What I know is this, and we can go and we can look there. He said that when the Spirit has come, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come, Jesus is talking about it in John's gospel. He said he'll convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Sin because they don't believe, of righteousness because I go to the Father, and of judgment because the, king, the, the God of this world is going to be judged. And we're talking about the kingdom of God is righteousness. And I began to think about that. He said, 
The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He said, we as believers are going to have to be convicted of righteousness because the enemy is going to tell you that you're just a sinner. Because he's going to the Father. He finished the work. He's gone to the Father. You are righteous because of faith in him, not because of what you do. And it takes the Holy Spirit. When you mess up, it takes the Holy Spirit to let you know that you're still loved and right with God. So Jesus says, I want you to pray in this manner. Our Father. And there may be those in here who you didn't have a father that showed you love. You didn't have a father. And Jesus wanted to real, reveal who that father was. And that's why the life of Jesus is so important. Because Hebrews says, chapter 1 says, he is the exact representation of the father. So when we see the heart of Jesus and how he dealt and how he ate with the sinners and the politicians... Wow. How he was seen with those that were unseemly. Because what he was doing was revealing the heart of the Father. That he said, look, it doesn't matter. You can't go so far that I can't reach you. That was the heart that Jesus was revealing. The Father's heart. And he said, I want you to understand, this is who the Father is. So when you start out, you're not coming to a God far off. You're coming to a Father who's near who loves you, who sacrificially gave so that you could enter into this relationship. Hallowed, holy, set apart, holy is your name. We could cry holy, holy, holy till we run out of breath and it's not enough to understand who he is, his majesty, his worth, his holiness. But then he said this, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. So if the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, he said, when you're praying, pray this, Father, your kingdom come. So how many of you know when his kingdom come and invades the one that you're in, things are going to look different? He said, Father, your kingdom come. The word come there, it means this. It literally means appear. Your kingdom appear. And it also means this, to move forward and grow. So when Jesus told his disciples, pray this way, in this manner, with this understanding and revelation, you're Father, and you're holy, you're worthy. I don't know if it means anything to you, but it's precious to me that he recognized him or identified him first as Father before his holiness. It doesn't devalue his holiness. It just wants him to know he's father first to you. And who he is is holy. That's good. Our father. Holy. Your kingdom appear. Your kingdom enter. Your kingdom grow and move forward. That's what it literally means. This word come. Wrapped up in that word come. Is all of that. It's to appear. To grow. To, uh, to enter and to move forward. Then he said this, your will be done. The word done there means your will come into existence. Your will come into existence. What at where? On earth as it is right now in heaven. 
That's why the verse that we started with in worship that the Lord was just stirring in my heart, 1 John 4, he said, as he is, so are you in the earth. Why is that important? If we're going to pray, God, your kingdom come and your will, be, uh, uh, your will come into existence on earth as it is in heaven, we've got to understand that we are in heaven with him, sons on the earth to manifest who he is. And empowered to do it. That's good. He goes through and he starts talking about give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't lead us into temptations, but deliver us from evil. Why? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. His kingdom, again, 14, 17 Romans, his kingdom is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy. And the thing that just popped out this week as I was spending time with him that came to light to me is all these things, righteousness, peace, and joy is in the Holy Spirit, in the person of Holy Spirit. So we're going to demystify Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He's not a mist or a vapor. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's God. So when we honor Holy Spirit, it's not irreverent or out of order, we're honoring God. Oh, well, he said when he comes, he's not going to draw attention to himself. He's going to point us to Jesus. What he's saying is he's going to point us to the one who made us righteous, who made us holy, who made us accepted. But he also said that through him, he's going to reveal truth to you and lead you. So we can say this, when he says, your kingdom come, we can say, your, your righteousness come, your righteousness grow, appear, move forward in me, right? We can say, your peace come, move forward, grow in me, and we can say, your joy come. Move, grow, move forward in me. So what are you saying? I'm saying this. When we're walking in the kingdom, every day, a new day, God's outside of time, we're in time. Every day when we walk in a new revelation of him, when we walk in a greater intimacy with him, there should be greater revelation, greater appearing, greater moving forward of righteousness, peace, and joy. So if we're not seeing that, we shouldn't be condemned, but we should recognize we believe the lie. And we're settling for less than what Jesus paid for. Right? His, his kingdom come into existence in our lives. So as I was uh, thinking on these things, his kingdom, so it's his righteousness, it's his peace, it's his joy, right? Given to us through Jesus. So uh, if you've been here, heard anything this year that I've taught, I've kind of been hung up on Abraham, Father Abraham. I spent probably four months talking about Abraham out of Romans chapter 4. And it's funny when you get revelation on something, how it's easy to go back to that and gain more. 
That's why this is the living word. It's not a dead word. It's the living word. And that as we read, it, come, it can uh, come alive in us, and we can see something we've never seen before. So it's not that I haven't ever seen this about righteousness in Romans chapter 4, but as I had that lens on and I'm looking through his righteousness that's been given to us, I went back, and uh, so Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Romans 4, 13 says this, For the promise that he would be heir of the world's, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he's saying here, real short, real briefly, the purpose and intention of the law. The law was not brought to make you righteous or holy. The law was brought so that you would see your need of him. Because the law said this is how holy God is. This is who God is. And it was to show, not give us a formula to get to God, but to show that apart from him, we could never make it. But what's so important here is he said in verse 13, Abraham, his seed, wasn't through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So you go, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the fear that's been in my life. Your righteousness comes through faith. Through saying, God, I believe into you. And, and literally what it said when Jesus said you have to believe in him, it literally means into, in a position that you move out of you and into him. Into his finished work, into what he accomplished on the cross for you. So faith is believing into Jesus. And that's why he said in Corinthians that we, ca- we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not our obedience, but to the obedience of Christ, because that's where we're at. We're in him. So when we bring every thought captive, every lie of the enemy, we bring it captive and we bring it into Christ and his righteousness, it's killed. Verse 16 says this, Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom, whom he believed, God, so he's talking about in the presence of God whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do, as they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, this is talking about Abraham again, so that he became the father of many nations, according to his spoken, so shall your descendants be. So it says in verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. You go, why won't you move on? Why are you hung up on this? I'm hung up on this because I believe that the church, the body of Christ, not a building, not one different denominations or all that. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, has believed a lie about righteousness. And therefore, the kingdom's not being manifest because we're looking at our worth and our ability to do something instead of be someone. 
He said that, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. What is he talking about? He's talking about this righteousness that Abraham believed into. It's by faith Abraham believed that God is who he is and that he'll do what he said he would do. And because of that, grace provided, and he walked in it. See, here's how faith and grace work together. Grace provides what we don't deserve. Faith takes hold of what we don't deserve and brings it into this reality. That's why I said without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because without faith, we can't operate from his kingdom. And that's where the Lord's really been stirring me about how much I look at things from the natural or how much I look at things from his perspective. Because when I see from his perspective, it changes how this looks this way, even if nothing here has changed. Because when I magnify him in my life, then what I'm saying is I've set him above whatever I've been looking at. And no matter how big it is, if it's a sickness, a disease, a shortcoming, no matter how big it is, beside of him it pales. Who contrary to verse 18, contrary to hope, in hope believes, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. So our faith takes hold of, it appropriates, it grabs hold of what God has already provided through grace. Verse verse 20 says this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Look at this. Abraham believed God. What did he believe? He believed um, that he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. So faith begins when we know who God is and what he's promised. Because until you know what he's promised, you can't have faith for it to believe it could happen for you. That's the importance of the scriptures because through the scriptures all the promises in him are yes and all the promises in him are amen. As we look and we see that God is no respecter of persons. So if he's done it for one, he'll do it for another if we appropriate by faith what he's provided through grace. And once we understand that, we move into that, we start living from a different realm. We start living from a different kingdom. Because now I'm not limited by what's in front of me. I'm not limited by my resources when I know who he is and what he said. So then I start believing by faith, grabbing hold of by faith what he's promised. And we see it manifested through grace in our lives. And we, we then take authority as a believer, as, as, as First John says, as he is, so are we in the earth. We start living from that place. His kingdom come. His will be done. So I, I believe that we have to be established on righteousness, his righteousness. Because until we're established on his righteousness, we'll always relegate it or delegate it to someone else because we'll, we'll not feel that we can because we'll, we'll be... <clears throat> Esteeming ourselves above him. But Abraham, it says, he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, was strengthened in faith, gave glory to God. And I believe this is the key. He he was strengthened in faith, how? By giving glory to God. You hear me? 
So how do you strengthen your faith? Give glory to God. Magnify who God is above what you're facing right now. As you glorify who He is, faith rises on the inside. And here's what the Lord has been saying to me. He said, Todd, don't focus on if it's healing, don't focus on healing. If it's financial, don't focus on financial. Whatever it is, if it's spiritual, don't focus on that. Focus on Him. Because the bigger He gets inside of you, the smaller those things get. He is provision. He is healing. It's not what he does. It's who he is. He's I am. yod heh vav heh That's who he is. I am that I am. That's who he is. So as I set my gaze on him and I, I, and I press into who he is, I lose sight of who I am and my shortcomings. And faith rises in my heart. So... I've been learning in this that when something seems to be overwhelming or uh, taking my attention, I take a praise break. I go, wait a minute, I'm giving way too much attention to something that doesn't deserve it. It didn't die for me and it's not bringing life to me. So I'm going to redirect and I'm going to put my attention on the one And as I put my attention on the one, this may not change externally, but something changed in me internally. And the authority and the control that that had dies. And faith rises on the inside of me. So now I'm not living for something, I'm living from someone. That's what Abraham did, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Again, where's the attention? Not on man, am I going to be able to make this? I mean, Abraham was in his 90s, and we're talking about having babies. God bless Abraham for wanting babies in his 90s. Sweet Jesus. I'm 50, and I thank God I got grandbabies, and love them, kiss them, correct them. I'm not that granddad, but everything's okay. Correct them, then send them home. They love coming to Papaw, nanny. It's nanny and Papaw's house. Never Papaw's, nanny and Papaw's house. I don't go to nannies. And on a good day, Papa gets thrown in there. I get to live there too. Nanny and Papa's house. But I, I get to express love to her and send her home. It's a wonderful thing, guys. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm having a moment. Just leave me there. For... Hallelujah. I'm sorry. Dana's just looking at me. Abraham believed God, and he didn't stagger through unbelief when everything else in the natural said this can't happen. Abraham just continued to give glory to God to mani- for God's love, life, and truth to manifest in his heart. And he said doing that, it caused him to be fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. To impute means to put on his account. Uh, Impute's not a word that we use a lot anymore. We We say charge, it means the same thing. If you go into a store and you don't put cash on the counter, they just imputed charges to your account. They don't show up right then. That's what gets people in trouble. They keep imputing, 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 and they don't have money to pay off what they've imputed. And then you accrue debt that you can't get out from under. This isn't a financial lesson, but it's good. It's good to know. He says here in verse 23, now it's written not for his sake, but for that it was not for his sake alone that it was imputed to him or it was put to his account, but also for us it shall be imputed or put on our account who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. I know if you've heard me before, you've heard me say this, but it bears repeating. Jesus was offered up because of our sin. That's what this means in plain English. He was offered up, put on the cross for our sin as a payment for our sin. His death paid for our sin. The sinless for the sinner. The righteous for the unrighteous. The holy for the unholy. He did that on the cross. But it goes on to say this, and he was raised because of our justification. The very fact that Jesus came out of the grave means that God has declared us justified and right in his eyes. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because the resurrection is the, is the proof that we've been made right in God's eyes. That's good stuff. And if we don't have this understanding, if we think every time we mess up that we're disconnected and that God can't love us and God doesn't love us, does that give us an excuse to sin? No. Paul said, God forbid, could we consent it? should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, no, God forbid. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if we don't have that understanding that where sin abound, grace does that much more abound? The blood is greater than your sin, past, present, or future. And here's what I believe. When we really understand that, sin loses its hold on us. It doesn't empower us to live in sin. It, powers, it empowers us to live free from sin. Because I know that my love from him towards me is not based on my approval or, or my ability to perform well. And because of love, I serve better. <clears throat> I, I've shared this, I'll... I'll say again, I can remember when our daughter was getting, our daughter, bless her heart, she's in here today. Sometimes she's not, but she's in here today. She's beautiful and sweet and amazing, all those good things. But growing, growing up, I, I didn't want her to fear me. I wanted her to understand my love. I, did, I think that fear is a primary instinct to get away and to change. If something scares you, you you make adjustments. But love will keep you. Love will sustain you. Fear will will cause an, an immediate response, but love will sustain. 
And I wanted her to know how much I loved her. When I disciplined her, I wanted her to know how much I loved her. When I messed up, I wanted her to know that I'm human and I made mistakes and that I didn't do everything perfectly. There were times that I had those Andy Griffin moments. You know, when Andy accused Odie of doing something that his intention and all that was wrong and Odie's intention wasn't wrong and Andy had to pull his shoe out of his throat. She swallowed it. If y'all haven't watched Andy Griffith, you need to go watch it. I had those moments, but I knew that one day she wouldn't be living. Here's, here's how fear works. Fear is, only has an effect when the immediate danger is there, present. When the immediate danger is removed, fear loses its hold. Are you with me? If you're afraid of a snake and the snake's in your presence, you move to get away from the snake. But when, the, when you're inside and you're safe and the snake's outside, fear doesn't control you like it does. You know, if you're standing outside looking at a, inside looking at a snake outside, you shouldn't run in the other room. Well, my wife said, <clears throat> that's unrealistic because that snake can't get to you where you are. But love transcends time. Love transcends current situations and circumstances. So it was my heart to let her know, my daughter know, how much I loved her because I understood that when she went off to college that being afraid of dad to do right wasn't going to work because the, uh, the threat was not there. She was hours away. Are you with me? So fear will motivate you but it's short-term. But love will sustain you. Fear, we've seen it in our country. Something bad goes on. What do people do? They rush into church because they're afraid. Then when things level off, where do they go? They disappear. Why? Because the, the threat's not there. But love, when we understand His love for us and we understand that His love is what paid the price for us to be made right with Him, then we don't serve God out of fear. We serve Him out of love. Even now, if there's something that my dad needs physically help with, I don't do it out of obligation or out of fear that he's going to whip me. I can take him. It wasn't always true, and I didn't ever try it. I had a brother that I thought was going to try it, and that was going to end really ugly. I, I, I could take him now. So I'm not afraid of my dad, but the love that he's shown me, the love that I have for him and the respect that I have for him, I don't want to do anything that will hurt him. And I want to do everything I can for him when I have opportunity to do it. That's the heart God wants us to have toward him. That's why he called him Father. Jesus called him Father. He wants to understand that love so that we can respond out of love and not out of fear. So are we saying that God loves us so much we can just do whatever we want to? No, what I'm saying is this. God loves us so much that we don't want to do the things that we used to have to do to receive adoration or acceptance or whatever. Affirmation, we don't have to do those things anymore. Romans chapter 5. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, okay. We're talking about a kingdom, right? 
What does a king do in a kingdom? He reigns. He reigns. He, he rules and he has authority in that kingdom. And he said here, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So our reality is that we're supposed to reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Right? That's our, real, our present reality is we should be reigning in life with him because of what he accomplished. Let's keep reading. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as, for as by one man's disobedience many, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteousness, made righteous. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Look at this. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So the law came in to show us how bad sin really is. But he said, where the law came in and where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to, the, to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, verse 17, it's the uh, abundance of grace. Through the abundance of grace comes the gift of righteousness. And the purpose of that is that we'll reign in this life. What's the purpose of us reigning in life? So we can walk around saying, I'm a king's kid, I'm a king's kid. No, so that we can release, so that we can manifest the kingdom of God, which is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So what are you saying practically today? It's 1152. What I'm saying practically is this. When the kingdom of God is really reigning in my life, when I show up in a circumstance or a situation, righteousness, his righteousness, not my self-righteousness, his righteousness should come on the scene. His peace should come on the scene. If it's going to H E double hockey sticks in a handbasket, when I show up, peace is with me because I'm operating in his kingdom. And joy should be able to be released. I'm talking practical. We can talk spiritual. I'm talking practical, and you shouldn't separate the two. Because if it's who you are, when the kingdom shows up and we're reigning in, through the, in life through the one, Jesus Christ, and we're seated with him, Ephesians says. We're accepted in him, Ephesians says. So if I'm living from this place of his kingdom coming out of me, when I show up, rightness should show up. It should start looking like him.